Augusta really is Bryson Proof, a shocking twist on The Bachelorette. And remember when the Seahawks were good? A brand new air attack starts right now. And a different Masters this year, but a Masters all the same. And something the sports world really, really wanted. You, know, you could say needed, but really, really wanted. A lot of fun watching that. Uh, watching his girlfriend afterwards was pretty interesting as well. We'll get to that. Get to the NFL stuff. We'll get to the Bachelorette stuff. Still don't have an official president-elect. Uh, my God, here we are now as we get halfway through Thanksgiving, or, uh, November. Excuse me. I told you this was going to happen. And this is probably going to drag on for a while. I kind of thought it was interesting what Joe Biden did last week. Speaking from the office of the president-elect, all the signage and a, and a, and a well-crafted set. It looks really professional and official. I'm not a political guy. What do I know? I used to work at a Trump property, so I obviously took an interest in the last four years of what was going on. But I'm like, wait a second. The office of the pre what is the office of the president-elect? And it turns out I was onto something. He made it up. He just totally made it up. So now you've got a guy who's saying, hey, you know what? What if I just act like I've won the election and tell everyone I've won? And that, that, that'll just be it. People will think I won and we can go from there. It's like when George Costanza just showed up at work after he quit. Yeah, you know what? No one's going to notice. My goodness. And now here's what's interesting. The ACLU is now involved in some of this stuff. Why would they be involved? One reason, money. They, they Spare me the other explanations. It's called money because now they're going to try to fight this process as they kind of drag it out in court and go from state to state with some of this stuff going on. You've got hand counts going on. George is going to recount, but they're going to do it by hand. If they took five or six days to sort out their numbers to begin with, how long do you think it's going to take when they do it by hand? And now there's a problem with that, so that's going to go to court. This is going to drag itself out. I, I think it's going to drag on probably two or past Christmas now. I said Thanksgiving before. You can forget about that. They'll be lighting the tree at Rockefeller Center before you'll have a new president or the same president, which, whichever one it is. But this is going to drag on. And the other thing is that's interesting about this, Twitter and Facebook – continue to involve themselves in the process because apparently that's their job now what started as a place to brag about your engagement or to pepper us with worthless pictures of your children doing worthless things or to just give my exes a way to check up on me without actually bothering me is now responsible for monitoring and restrict restricting political discussion only one side of it, of course. And one side of it is allowed to just bl you know, blither away. But anyone that talks about the election results that has any sort of following or prominence, especially if it's Trump, and you follow me, by the way, on Twitter at BC, a.k.a. The Man, follow the show at Air Attack Radio. Anyone that talks about that there possibly being a problem with the election is at risk of being tossed off the entire site. And that's Facebook and Twitter. Facebook has even deactivated certain groups. You know, whatever it is, they're going to they're going to march for Trump or they're going to, you know, you know, uh, stop the steal, whatever they want to call themselves. People who are pro Trump and think there's something happened in the election and Facebook is breaking the groups up. These are supposed to be private conversations. No, 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 no. Nothing's private on Facebook. Even your direct messages, your private messages on, on Facebook Messenger, those are monitored by Facebook. It's crazy now. So only one side of it gets monitored. The rest, anyone else can say whatever they want. You say what you want about the president. You can say what you want about white people. You can say what you want about men. No problem. Anybody questions that there's less than 37 genders, look out. We'll toss you off of Twitter. And Twitter does it all the time. I mean, they do it all the time and for no reason. And all they have to say, it's like when Uber or Lyft get rid of a driver. 
who's on to the fact that they're, they're basically getting ripped off. They'll just say you violated their terms of service. They don't discuss it. They don't talk about it. There's no appeals process, and they can and they can get away with it because you signed on to their terms of service. Terms of service basically means, hey, we don't like you. Get out of here. And there's just nothing weird about that at all. The election is over. It's over. You can't vote anymore. Well, at least you're not supposed to be able to vote anymore. And they're still trying to monitor and censor any kind of discussion about it. Why would that possibly be? After like three, four years, whatever you want to call it, of hearing about how Russia totally undermined our election and stole it and yada, 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 that was okay. But the minute other people say that the election was possibly rigged, possibly stolen, possibly tainted, possibly not on the up and up, there's warning labels, there's suspensions, there's people getting tossed off, and there's nothing strange about it whatsoever. Got it. I got it. Okay, no problem, guys. I buy it. I buy it. It's your world. My God. All right, now on to more pressing business. Uh, let's talk about The Bachelorette. Remember last year, The Bachelorette ended up pretty much, I guess I would say the word I would use is perfect. Some of you some of you fans of the show wouldn't say that. No, no, no. It was the greatest thing ever. You have this girl from Alabama, Hannah, who's pretty much an average girl from Alabama. Not that they treat her like that. They put her in these expensive gowns and jewelry and everything and try to elevate her and, and glorify her like she's the greatest thing ever and she's worth fighting over. No, 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 no. She's an average girl from Alabama, and I'm being kind when I say that. How does it end up? She picks a guy who's a total sociopath, who it turns out had a girlfriend the entire time. So he lied to the girlfriend, lied his way onto the show, and of course lied to Hannah the entire time. So then she decides she's going to go to her backup guy, but not before sitting there on stage and detailing her exploits with another guy, banging him in a windmill three times right in front of his parents, and then going back to backup number one. It's um, I mean, it's unbelievable. Spends a few days with the backup. Next thing you know, the backup's off to New York City with one of the Hadid sisters. That's that's pretty much how that went down. Did I get all that? I got all that. And I thought that was pretty much ideal. I don't know what Hannah's doing this year. And quite frankly, I'm like a lot of people. No one cares. Because we have a new bachelorette. And it's Claire. And she's very important. She's incredibly important. Everything about her is important. And her journey for love is important. And her feelings are important. And she's important. Not the 25 schmucks fighting over her, which, by the way, guys, let me just spell this out for you very simply, and I want you to listen clearly. And until you understand this, I can't help you. I just can't. This is very, very important. Any girl worth fighting 25 guys over would never actually ask you to do it. I promise you that. Now, I know some people who think they're worth it. No, 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 no. I know some people who live their whole lives like an episode of The Bachelorette. They think it's the greatest thing ever. Sorry. Any chick that expects you to behave like this is completely not worth behaving like that for. Really, no one is. Okay? It's a joke. But what it's kind of like, if you think about it, it's sort of like online dating. It's just kind of like thrown in your face. You got a person who basically is, you know, on these little dates with one guy, then boom, the next guy, boom, the next guy. The only difference is they all know each other. They all know about each other. And so they get to basically fight with each other. And what are they fighting for exactly? Claire. They're fighting over Claire. And why is Claire worth fighting over? Because she's the bachelorette. And because she's important. And her journey's important. And her feelings are important. Never mind the 24 out of the 25 guys who are going home unhappy here. Never mind all that. Never mind the humiliation they go through. This is difficult for her. And that's what's important. She is important. This whole thing is terrible. It's difficult having 25 guys fight over you. It's incredibly difficult. Except this season, Claire made it easy on everyone and decided she liked Dale and that's it and she's leaving. So basically, how, how long did it take these two clowns? Like, like two weeks of knowing each other, supposedly? And now they're engaged and going off and Dale shopping for high-end luxury apartments, like seven-figure places with a guy from Million Dollar Listing over in the East Village. That's it. Boom, engaged. But that's okay. It just so happens. It just happened this way. ABC has a backup bachelorette. 
And then there's a new one. I can't pronounce I think it's Taisha or Taisha. I, I'm not sure what her name is. Very pretty girl. Very nice. And they've got four backup guys who just happen to be quarantining at La Quinta the entire time. I don't know what happened there. I guess if you eliminate Dale, there's only 24 guys left, right? But what about the other... Why were there three less guys? Were they, they basically just like, you know what? I've had it. You made enough of a fool of me. I'm going to leave. I saw a clip out there where guys were talking about how they had developed feelings for Claire. What are you talking about? What what feelings? What are what are those? What do you mean? Feelings for Claire. You know, I really got to come clean with this new girl. I was developing feelings for Claire. It may, may take me a minute to open up, put myself out there again. You've been there for like a week and a half, you fool. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Oh, my God. Hey, listen. Hey, it's the Bachelorette. What do you want? It's very important because she's important. Everything is important. It's just like online dating. Do you understand? It's the same thing. She can be atrocious, and there's a guy right there to tell her how great she is, okay, for the next hour and a half, two hours. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what she does. So in, in the case of some people, they might think that's an ideal existence, and some of us just think it's, uh, it's gross. On to Major League Baseball here. Big story this week. Kim Ng becomes the general manager of the Marlins, first female GM in uh, American sports history. People were quick to point out that this happened in the CFL a few years ago. Uh, the CFL is a lot like like Canada. No one really cares about it, so that doesn't really count. I'm sorry, just how it is. A lot of talk about how it should have happened sooner. Should have happened sooner, and you know, it's a good thing that it happened. But you know, it took way too long. It should have happened sooner. Anytime I hear something like that, my response is very simple: Why? Why should it have happened sooner? And she's also Asian, by the way, so they're throwing that in there. Does that sound familiar? Because we haven't heard that a lot in the last uh, two, three weeks. The first Asian-American woman to blank, right? So she's now the GM of the Marlins. Should have happened much sooner because she's had a long and successful career in Major League Baseball. And they're talking about how this is a... It, this, is, this is like the classic thing. We've heard this with coaches in, in college football in the NFL. Whenever it happens, it took too long. And it's a, it's a sign of progress. And it's not, not a sign that the organization or that the league or the sport is doing better or doing well, but she's a symbol of oppression. Let's talk a little bit about her background. And I have nothing against this woman whatsoever. Okay, but they want to put her they want to put her in this situation. Okay, I'm just going to explain to you what kind of life she's had and you judge for yourself. She grew up in Ridgewood, New Jersey. I think she was born in Queens, but she grew up in Ridgewood, New Jersey. If that sounds familiar, yes. Just like the golf club by the same name, Ridgewood. Okay, very upscale suburb of New York City, probably about 20 minutes from Manhattan. Very upscale. I, I promise you, very nice. Then goes to the University of Chicago. Okay, not cheap, not a place the poors go. Okay, very, very nice place. Very good education. Gets a job with the White Sox, spends time with the Yankees, works in Major League Baseball, and now she's the general manager of the Marlins. Explain to me which part of that, oh, by the way, she's also married to a guy who owns a vineyard in the Willamette Valley. So explain to me which part of that, okay, is oppression. I'm just curious. But again, race, gender, let's race and gender everything and make everything about politics. It's ridiculous. Good for her. Congratulations. But I'm sorry, people. There are 30 jobs in Major League Baseball with the title of general manager. She just happened to get one of them. Like when you watch the Oscars and people are complaining, oh, the Oscars are so white. Hey, listen, it's not easy to win an Oscar. No one owes it to you to, to, to sprinkle around the awards around different groups because you can always come up with a different group who didn't win an Oscar. You can always come up with a group who's not represented as a general manager in American sports. So good for her, but you diminish the accomplishment when you treat it like this. And it's absolutely ridiculous that everything has to be political now. I think you'll see it kind of lighten up a little bit post-election, but in a lot of ways I don't think you will because this is ties into something I said earlier on the show. Social media has such an influence now in politics. There are people who just blither away, and that's basically their job. How do you think you have an AOC as a, as a member of Congress in this country? 
How do you think that is? You know why it is? Because she's got a boyfriend who is a big-time social media guy. And she's got 10 million social media followers. And now they're trying to bounce her out. A lot of people don't want anything to do with her because there are people that lost or almost lost elections because of some of the, the, the nonsense that comes out of her mouth. And so you know what she's pushing now? The idea that the Democratic Party better, better have a digital presence. Uh, yeah, you know why? Because she's got one. So, of course, if she's doing it, it must be the greatest thing ever. She's trying to hold on to her, her basically, her, her relevance in the world of politics. So the politics probably doesn't lighten up that much. But the bottom line is, the woman just got the job. Now let her do the job and let her be good at it or bad at it. Just like the woman who, who might be the next vice president of the United States. You want to talk about how she's black and Asian and female and everything else. Did she win a pageant or did she just get a new job? Which one is it? Woman's got a job to do. Let her do it. Stop treating her like a novelty act. It's ridiculous. Because basically what you're saying is that it's okay no matter what now. Whatever she does from here doesn't even matter. But it does matter. It should matter. If you really want equality and you really want representation, that's part of it. Bottom line. Sorry. Uh, the Masters. And a very, very different Masters. We knew it was going to be. We knew there's going to be no fans this year. We knew it was going to be unconventional. Um, the fir First and foremost... You people that decided that Bryson DeChambeau should be the betting favorite have to have your heads examined. My God, the Masters is all about controlling your shots, controlling distance. He is all about just gobbling up the golf course 350 yards at a time. That, that doesn't work there. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, listen, can you bomb away on some holes? Absolutely. Do they have par fives that are reachable? Absolutely. Is distance an advantage? Of course it's an advantage. It's great. You get to hit shorter clubs. You get to be closer, all that kind of stuff. But if you can't control the distance of your irons coming into greens at Augusta, you are done. And that that wasn't his only problem this week. I think he put a lot of stuff in his head. He also said he had some health problems. I take him at his word. I don't, I don't think he would lie about that. He said he was having an issue with dizziness. Fought through that. And still, I think he was under par for the week. But the problem with him is he came in and called it a par 67. He didn't quite put it in those words. But he said, for me, the par is 67. And we're going off of there. I don't know about this coming Masters because it's only in about five and a half months or so, give or take. But you can bet the members there heard that loud and clear. And you have a very good possibility. It's very, very realistic that by 2022, they have tried to tweak that golf course a little bit and make it tougher. They did it for Jack Nicklaus. They did it with Tiger. They used to call it Tiger-proofing the course. And people said, oh, my God, they, they can't stand a black man. That's nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that at all. They did the same thing with Jack Nicklaus. Jack Nicklaus used to hit his tee shot, I think it was on the 10th hole, into the driving range on purpose because it cut off a bunch of distance. You know what they did? They made the driving range out of bounds. They don't want you going real low. Didn't stop DJ from doing it, but they don't want guys going super, super low. So I would not be surprised after what he said if they try to sort of brace improve that golf course. Be interesting to see how it works out. Um, now, people also ask why there weren't fans allowed. Why they can have fans at a college football game in Georgia, but not at the Masters. There's a few different reasons. Number one, you were dealing with an event that was kind of thrown together in a unconventional way to begin with. And they were sort of just happy they were able to have it. That's the first thing. Okay, that's kind of the simpleton's answer, but it, but it really is part of it. The other parts of it are, are, are kind of complicated. If you've been to a golf tournament, if you've watched a golf tournament on TV, if you've ever seen some of the wider shots, the gallery is not stationary. The gallery moves about and interacts with itself in a lot of different ways. People a lot of times are coming and going to different holes, different hospitality tents, uh, different places to buy food, merchandise, etc., and as the day goes on, there are groups on fewer and fewer holes because, you know, people tee off on one or in this case because of weather and also time constraints, both natural and, uh, and TV based, they teed off one and on 10. But as, as the day goes on, 
people are going to be done playing certain holes. So on a normal Sunday, just to go on a normal Sunday at the Masters, everybody would tee off the first hole. Well, after the leaders tee off, there is no one playing the first hole. So you move along with the leaders to the second hole and the third hole, and eventually there's only a few holes that have players on them. So the golf gallery becomes much more concentrated as the day goes on. And they follow the leaders, they follow Tiger, or they gravitate towards the 18th hole, or whatever hospitality tent they have, they have access to. So it's not the same thing as a football game by a long stretch. On top of that, you'd have to manage the concessions and make sure people are social distancing and all that kind of stuff. You'd have to probably forego some of the hospitality on course. And what I'm getting at is these are all places where they make money. Augusta has plenty of money. And if they have to modify these things, is it really worth them having it? And God forbid they, you know, they, they attach some sort of, I don't know, outbreak to the Masters. Is it really worth the negative PR? The bottom line is it's not. It just isn't. In fact, you can, I went online to see if I could buy a Masters hat. I didn't realize this. You have to have a ticket to the event to buy any of that stuff. So you can still buy stuff online, but only if you somehow provided proof that you had access to the tournament to begin with. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. Now, did no fans make it harder or did it make it easier? You could go either way with this. Fans t happened to trample down the rough. Bryson had a problem on the third hole where he rips a tee shot to the left. Should have been found. And it was wet. I mean, it poured rain on, on Thursday. It absolutely poured. So you understand the ball plugged. You know what that is. It's basically when a ball just buries into the grass. That's, that's what it is. If you can't find it, that ball is now lost. You have to go re-tee it. You have to go back to the tee and play it again, for those of you who are not golf savvy. And that happened. And now there were guys there. There were spotters. There were officials. Most of those guys, I think a lot of them come from Augusta. The, the, uh, I'm sorry. They come from Augusta itself. So you kind of wonder... How hard these guys were looking for that golf ball once he said it was a par 67. I'm thinking to myself, does this guy know where the ball is and he just won't tell Bryson he's going to let him find it on his own? He was not happy about that. If there's a gallery there, it never happens. The Someone's going to spot that golf ball. You know, when they walk around the rough, they trample it down so a guy can miss the fairway and maybe find a spot where it's not so bad. You didn't have that. So that might make it a little bit tougher. On the flip side, you don't have the buzz. You don't have the energy. You don't have the roars from the crowd, especially when there's a guy like Tiger or a popular player making a run. Would it have mattered this week? We'll never know. We just won't. But bottom line is there is the pressure of getting your first green jacket. Dustin Johnson has had that pressure before and failed. Didn't fail this time. Just pulled away. Lowest score ever. Very, very impressive showing. Obviously very emotional for a guy that's had, let, let's face it, a bit of a checkered past. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be kind here. I've never really heard anyone say he's a bad guy, but he's definitely, you know, he's basically... He's been a bad boy, put it that way. He was a little bit of a, you know, some, some of the stories out of Coastal Carolina are pretty uh, pretty interesting, put it that way. So a guy who, is, uh, who knows how to have fun, and that, that doesn't, listen, doesn't, doesn't make him a bad guy at all. Very, very focused on his game lately, is playing outstanding golf. And then, of course, his fiance. they've been dating for a while. I'm not sure when they're actually getting married. But Wayne Gretzky's daughter, Paulina, goes to meet him on 18. And, it, and listen, I understand that it's 2020. I understand that golf is changing and times are changing and that she can dress the way she wants to. That outfit she was wearing on Sunday was just ridiculous. She usually comes up with some sort of skirt or dress, and it's got to be low cut, and her boobs got to be popping out and everything like that. And, you know, that's a little borderline for golf, but okay, I get it. This time she just comes up with her basically glorified yoga pants and some sort of custom-made Adidas outfit. You know, it's green, but it's got the Adidas logo all over for it, almost like Adidas made it for her for that Sunday, for that occasion, and she shows up on camera like that. I'm curious how the members at Augusta really feel about stuff like that and how far they're going to let her take it, along with some of the other girlfriends. I'm not by any means trying to pick on her before they say, listen, we have a dress code here, and that applies to Masters Week. My goodness. But good for Dustin Johnson. I mean, you could tell he really wanted it. His brother is his caddy. Very emotional. Um, I, don't, I don't think not having fans there, I, I don't think it's fair. In a year where we kind of look at 
some of these championships and say, eh, does it really count? I don't think you can really do that with golf because I think you could make a case that in certain situations, the golf is made more difficult by not having fans. Now, as far as, you know, the rough being trampled and everything like that, well, get listen, Dustin wasn't missing a lot of shots. He had a couple goof-ups on Sunday where you're like, oh, my God, here we go. But the problem for CBS, and this was a nightmare, this was a nightmare weekend for CBS on a couple levels. Number one, you lose Alabama LSU because of COVID on Saturday night. You had this awesome opportunity where you were going to go Masters to Alabama LSU, pretty much a once-in-a-lifetime thing. They lost all that. So that, that really sucked to begin with. And then on Sunday, you know at 1 o'clock that Fox has a bunch of NFL games. They weren't the greatest games, but they were NFL games. And you know in some markets, that's going to be a problem for you. You've got this runaway leader, but the guys chasing him were, I, I would never want to say no names, but for the casual fan, there were no names. They don't know who Cameron Smith is. They don't know who that kid from Korea is. They, they have no idea who these people are. It, you know, if it was Ricky Fowler or if it was Rory or somebody else who was just a little closer, Patrick Reed even, all those guys were like two or three shots back of where they had to be. And DJ just sort of distanced himself from them. He was like a horse who was basically loping along at the top of the stretch with a three-length three length lead and just let it out down the, down, the, down the straight. That's what it was. It really was. It was just a very, very impressive performance. I wouldn't take anything away from him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put an asterisk next to that the way you would for the NBA bubble or for the, the MLB thing with all the teams being allowed in and not having to go the whole year. Totally different. It was still 18 holes. It was still Augusta. In fact, there, the conditions were quite difficult with the wind. A lot of people may not appreciate that, but when the wind is blowing there because of the terrain and just because of, of how it is at Augusta, the wind twins tends to swirl there and be very unpredictable. You know, when there's wind blowing one direction, it's really not that big of a deal. But when it's blowing across or when it's swirling, and you, you don't know exactly what to do on certain holes. And Augusta is famous for that, where you're looking at the flag on your hole blowing one way, you look over to your right, a different hole, and the flag's blowing a different way. And guys like Jack Nicholas would talk about part of the success, part of being able to, to win at Augusta, is knowing how to deal with the wind. So I, I don't take anything away from Dustin Johnson, and I think this is a real big deal for him. And honestly, it's a guy where the sky's the limit. In a, in a time when you've got a lot of really good golfers out there, he really, really was impressive uh, this past weekend. College football, or what's left of it. I've been saying all year, guys, this college football season is trash. I mean, it is absolutely between the cancellations, between... I'm looking at, I'm looking at the scores coming up this week. Charlotte and Marshall canceled. Ole Miss and A&M, canceled. Georgia Tech and Miami, canceled. I mean, I'm doing the show on Tuesday. Who knows what's coming next? It's ridiculous. So between these cancellations and a couple guys testing positive, you know, Trevor Lawrence has to, you know, has to miss the game against Notre Dame. Did it cost him? Yeah, probably. We don't know that it did, but it, 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 it probably did. Between that and the fact that these kids are all over the place and you're starting to see the mental toughness or the lack thereof really become a factor here. I give Notre Dame credit for going into Boston College and taking care of them. They were ahead that entire game. I thought that was a dangerous game for Notre Dame. They just bullied them around the entire game. Nice job following the Clemson game. You know, after the Clemson game, you got kids flooding the college, flooding the, the field at Notre Dame, and everyone's acting like they're surprised. And I get it. Notre Dame never beats a top five team, but my God, you had to be ready for that. The whole thing is just a mess. The whole thing is a disaster. The governor of Michigan put the kibosh on all but NFL, all, all but professional sports, is what she said in the state of Michigan for the next three weeks. Apparently, that doesn't apply to Division One football. At least I don't think. I, I, I'm looking for clarity on this somewhere. It doesn't look like she ever gave it. It just looks like Michigan and Michigan State are going to keep playing games. Um, I assume that goes for Central Michigan and Eastern West Michigan and, and those schools as well. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, though. But it's just ridiculous that you got to hold your breath every week, and then you don't know what kind of product you're getting on the field. You just don't. As far as the college basketball season, Rick Pitino is now coaching Iona because that's basically who would hire him. 
His team is in COVID protocol. He wants to delay the start of the season. Of course he does. Of course he does. I mean, is, is that really is that really a viable option? It's not the craziest thing in the world. Is it self-serving? Yeah. But is it is it nuts to think that they could do a May Madness this year? Hey, we just played the Masters in November. Maybe we could. And what would go in, what would kind of go hand in hand with that is pushing back the college football playoff. But they've got to make a decision about this stuff soon, guys. It's Thanksgiving next week. This is usually when the regular season is wrapping up. Not this season. Okay, fine. I get it. I guess if you want a Big Ten or a Pac-12 team to even be considered, you almost have no choice at this point but to push back the college football playoff. You've already lost a lot of bowl games. Maybe it's not the craziest thing in the world. But if you do that, then you have to push the tournament in terms of hoops. That's got to get pushed back to at least May. Just how it has to be. Or maybe start it in mid-April or something like that. You can't have all this stuff going on at the same time. It's not fair to the hoops programs, and it's going to be too, it's going to be too complicated with TV schedules. NCAA tournament now is talking about a deal with Indian, the city of Indianapolis to host the entire tournament there. It'll be kind of fascinating to see how they try to try to pull that one off. I would imagine Butler would be used there. Got to find a spot for 68 different teams. I don't know. Interesting though. I, I don't think I don't think it's a crazy idea. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. Don't forget, you wouldn't have 68 teams there the entire time. You'd only have 32 left after the first week. I assume that that. There would be games almost every day. I, 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 don't, I don't know exactly how they plan on pulling something like that off. Um, maybe they had to start playing some games in the morning because, you know, venues would be limited. I have no idea how that's going to work. But basically, you're looking at a season. Wisconsin just played their second game. Their second game of the year. They roll over Michigan, who rolls over for everybody, so what's the difference? But that was the ABC primetime game this week. Wisconsin-Michigan. That was ridiculous. And maybe you can make a case, okay, Wisconsin might be rusty. No, no, no rusty. No, 49-11, boom. And it wasn't even that close. It wasn't even that close, I promise you. What a joke. Pac-12's given us a couple fun games. USC's played a couple fun games already. Arizona this week, Arizona State last week. A lot of fun. Won both those games. Won both those games late in dramatic fashion. So, you, listen... It's fun, you know, in a certain sense, but you lose Alabama, LSU, you lose Ohio State, Maryland, you lose Texas A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri, Coastal Carolina, Auburn, Mississippi State. What are we doing here? My God, and, and I, I, was, I found it fascinating. Cal was supposed to play Arizona State. UCLA was supposed to play Utah. Both those games get postponed. So what do they do? Cal played UCLA on Sunday, and I still have no idea who won. They put, they put the game at noon on Sunday. Noon on Sunday Eastern Time, which is 9 a.m. local time for some really good reason. You're up against the Masters, and you're up against the NFL. And that's how badly the Pac-12 suddenly wants to cash checks by getting in a college football season. I, I have no problem with them trying to play. But this was, a, this was a, a conference that was so intent on putting the kids first and safety and everything. And now you see how full of shit they really were, where they, were, they don't even want to lose any of the games now. Now they've, had a, they've got a six-game conference schedule, and they want every single one of them that they can get. And that's Cal. That's not, that's not USC. That's not Washington. That's not Oregon. That's not some football factory. That's Cal. Okay? Northern California, liberal, woke Cal. And even they want to get that money in now. And if they had just decided that to begin with, this would be much less of an issue. It's just, just a disaster of a college football season. Very, very tough to get into. Very, very tough to try to handicap. I basically stopped doing that. I'm tired of kickers and coaches basically just... Uh, this this particular year, it's a problem every year. But this particular year, it's just some of these games are impossible to watch. They really, really are, for for all those reasons. My goodness, um, NFL stuff. The Seahawks, 
The Seahawks, the darlings of the NFL, right? They're going all the way this year. Russell Wilson, MVP. MVP. Got to be the MVP. Yeah, Russell Wilson's lost three of his last four games. And I had the Rams this week. I think I touched on that last week that I liked, uh, I liked that, this matchup a lot. The Rams are coming off a bye. The Rams also always seem to have the Seahawks figured out. They just do. And when you give Sean McVay an extra week to prepare, plus you give the team rest, which is going to be big any year, any particular year, it's going to be big. But you give them this year's version of the Seahawks defense, and it's a defense he usually handles anyway. What did you really think was going to happen here? I mean, I, I, thought, the, I thought the Rams were in a good spot. I, you know, there was some difference of opinion out there at, you know, in terms of the, well, you know, the, the Seahawks have lost two out of three. They're going to get right here. You know, they just had to cross, cross the country to, to face the Bills. Couldn't stop them. I mean, not even close to stopping them. That 10-point that loss to the Bills wasn't even that close. The week before that, they beat up basically what's left of the 49ers, the nicest way I can put it. And then they lost that Sunday night game to the Cardinals the week before that. The week before that, they almost lost at home to Minnesota. I mean, a couple they got a couple turnovers that gave them short fields offensively. They only won that game by one, and they had to win that game real late. And remember something, Minnesota got stopped on a fourth and one late in that game. If they make that, the game's over. If they kick a field goal, the game maybe is over. Okay, so the, the Seahawks basically have lost three of the last four. I, I, it's just amazing how these things can turn. They go from 5-0 and to, what are they now, 6-3. and And no one's, I don't think the, I think the Russell Wilson conversation can stop. This is the difference between fantasy and actually betting on the teams or analyzing them. Yeah, he's having a great year fantasy-wise, but is he really having a great year? You know, these picks and everything. I, I'm not a fantasy guy, so I couldn't tell you, you know, how much it really hurts a guy to have interceptions in, from a fantasy perspective. But I can tell you what it, what it does to wins and losses. And when you have no offensive line right in front of you, okay, and their offensive line is full of holes, but their defense is just terrible. And a lot of people, I just think, well, Russell Wilson's going to get it done. DK Metcalf, hey, listen, they can't stop anybody. I mean, they're, they are not a good, in fact, they are a bad defense. Never mind, not a good one. They're a bad defense. They're about as bad as the Falcons were early on. The Falcons are playing much better. Now, the Falcons will give the Saints a game. The Falcons got a little more confidence coming in. The Saints win 27-13 over the Niners. Two of their touchdowns in this game. They had three of them. Two of them came on muff punts. They had tr touchdown drives of 21 and 22 yards in this game. And then you hear after the game that Drew Brees, now I saw the Drew Brees hit that he took. And talking to a Saints fan who was upset about it, I said, you better hope, you better hope he gets up. That was a vicious hit that he took. Turns out he gets a collapsed lung out of that. Okay, obviously very dangerous, not good. He's going to miss some time. But there's word now that he had a shoulder problem and perhaps an injury to his ribs before this game and that Sean Payton covered it up. If Sean Payton covered that up, okay, you combine that with some of his other history, some of it which is out in the open, some of it which is kind of talked about behind closed doors. Let's just go bounty gate and say that's bad enough, okay? He should get a month off, okay? I don't want to hear that he didn't know what was wrong with his, with his starting quarterback. That's garbage. That is complete and utter horseshit. That's before you get to how close Sean Payton and Drew Brees are. If he failed to disclose an injury to Drew Brees, if he withheld that information, especially in an age where there's legalized gambling everywhere, just give him a month off. And I'll bet you that puts an end to all of this nonsense, okay? There's gamesmanship, and then there's just cheating. That's cheating. Saints still won the game. The Saints still covered, but they probably shouldn't have. They got bailed out by, by mistakes in the 49ers, which were just, listen, if you're, I don't care if you're hurt or not. You can't muff two punts in a dome, no less. No wind, no rain. Not just It's a dome. Give me a break. So the Saints get bailed out there. We'll see Jameis take the reins here. I would expect Atlanta to have a lot of success offensively. The Saints defense is playing a little better. I think Atlanta with a week off, especially if Ridley's there, maybe like a team total over or maybe as a teaser leg. Right now they're five-point underdogs. Probably shouldn't even be that high. 
That's probably just a little bit more of a perception versus reality thing at this point. Steelers roll over the Bengals. I want to get two down in the Bengals. The Bengals only have two wins. I get it. They will continue to play hard. I think they will actually put up some points this week against Washington, who is just a just a very weird team to try to figure out. Um, but I think the Bengals will will continue to fight hard. It was a good matchup for the Steelers. Joe Burrow and that team do not do well when, when defenses come flying at them. I think the Steelers hit him like 10 or 12 times. It's just not a good matchup for him. Uh, he's not going to hit 10, 12 times against the Reds, or the, the team that used to be the Redskins this week coming up. So you might look at the Bengals as a teaser leg or as a team total over kind of situation. Ravens-Patriots. Patriots were seven-point favorites here. I wasn't touching this game. Um, at first, I looked at the Ravens as a teaser leg, and I said, yeah, you know what? Patriots got their back against the wall. You got some bad weather here, and the Ravens' offense has just been weird. It's just been very, very strange. Not to mention, they just lost two of their linemen. That's a big deal. That's a much bigger deal than a lot of people people think it is, or a lot, a lot more, a lot more than they give it credit for. Again, you're you're in a you're in a world where people watch football from a fantasy perspective, so no one really gives a shit about the offensive line. Well, if you're going to bet the games, you better. It's it's a, it's a very big deal. You figured the Patriots defense, which is not very good, might step up just a little bit here, but the weather was the big story here, and that's something else. You've had some hellacious weather the last two or three weeks. So for those of you looking to bet on games that are played outdoors, and that's not all of them, but, but the ones that are played outdoors, especially in places like Chicago and Cleveland and Boston and places that are known for just basically dog shit weather this time of year, you better check the forecast. You might get a day like you had last week in Buffalo where it's 70 degrees in November. You might. Or you might get a day like you had in Cleveland where the wind was blowing 30, 40 miles an hour. It was so bad there that they had to delay the start of the game. When's the last time you saw that? So if you're going to bet these games, college or, or pro, doesn't matter. You better check the weather. And, and that especially holds true this time of the year. It affects, the obviously, the over-under, you know, the total points that can be scored and everything like that. But you got to figure out which team it favors. And in a game like this, the Browns, you, you figured the Browns were going to have an advantage because their ability, ability to run the ball. Excuse me. The Texans have a very hard time doing that. And Deshaun Watson actually had a really good game for as bad as the weather was for a lot of it. But, you know, and a lot of people think Nick Chubb screwed them late. Nick Chubb didn't screw you. You screwed yourself by betting on the Browns. If Nick Chubb scores that long touchdown at the end of the game, it's a miraculous cover for you and good for you. And you know what? He could have scored. But after what Todd Gurley had done, remember something, Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb come from the same place. They both went to Georgia. After what he did a few weeks ago with the Falcons, there was no way Nick Chubb was going to go in the end zone there. He could have, and no one would have talked about it again. That's just not how it's going to be. Um, the Packers get a scare from the uh, from the Jags. Another game where you had a ton of wind at the stadium, so kind of kept the scoring down a little bit. Uh, now, listen, it, it affected both teams. I'm sure. I, I watched, you know, you, I saw some of this game at least, and the the wind was definitely a factor. Packers probably lose this game if they're playing uh, all but two or three quarterbacks in the NFL. They happen to be up against one of them, and Jake Luton, who is Gardner Minshew's backup here. So a, a dangerous game for the Packers. Um, not their best performance, you know, maybe a little bit of a look ahead to the Colts this week, but um, the Packers defense is not very good, but you get a lot of win. You kind of, again, restrict the options the offenses have. A lot of times it favors the underdog in these situations. It just does. Uh, the Bucks basically stomp out the Panthers 46-23. It wasn't even this close. The Panthers just stalled out on offense. They, they had a, the Panthers were a team that I thought early in the year could surprise some people. They started playing pretty well, and they just basically, if you look, they get to halftime and they just flatten out. They just run out of of, of ideas on offense and they're facing a good defense for once so um, the Bucks bounced back very nicely after what was one of the worst performances any NFL team has had this year up against the Saints last week they play on Sunday night again I would imagine they'll be much sharper than you saw two weeks ago or two weeks before that against New Orleans um, they play the Rams that'll be a very good game that'll be good uh, the Raiders 37-12 over the Broncos there's something wrong with Drew Locke and I don't, don't just mean physically uh, the kid can play when he's two or three touchdowns down but he just cannot get off to good starts the mistakes are just ridiculous they're people around the league talking about how Jerry Judy is not having nearly the kind of year he could have with a decent quarterback 
five turnovers for the Broncos in the game. Um, a few t- a few picks for for Drew Locke. There's a fiasco before the first half. Now I'm a little bitter about this because I was on the over in this game and it landed at 50 and a half when I got it. Game should have flown over. Waller dropped a touchdown pass for the Raiders. That's seven points right there. But then there was a fiasco before halftime where Drew Locke has a walk in touchdown. When you have a walk in touchdown in the NFL, you don't actually have to walk it in. But by walking it in, and this is Drew Locke by the way, who has like four or five NFL wins in, in a, a season's worth of starts already. Drew Locke decides he's going to literally walk it into the end zone. He takes so much time that Noah Fant gets called for a hold in the end zone. Backs the team up. Now it's second and goal, third and goal, whatever it is from the 11-yard line. And what does he do? He immediately throws a horrible interception. There's just something wrong with him mentally where he's just, he comes back against the Chargers, starts dancing on the field like it's the greatest thing ever because he finally gets his team away. I mean, it's come on, guys. You are a three and six football team. Maybe act a little hungrier, than you, a little more humble than you are. The Dolphins, 29-21 against the Chargers. This game should not have been this high scoring. You had a block punt for a touchdown. You had a fumble that set up a Chargers touchdown. This was actually a very physically played game, a, a, very much a great grinded out kind of game a little bit of a wake-up call for Justin Herbert although the play calling for the Chargers continues to be terrible Anthony Lynn just wants to run the ball between the tackles almost for spite at this point almost like he resents the success of his quarterback but it was it was a little bit of a wake-up call for Justin Herbert um Joey Bosa didn't play in this game that didn't help them two is now three and oh as a starter um and I would expect them to take care of the Broncos I know the, the number's getting a little inflated now because of the performances of the two teams the last week I don't think it's going to matter I just don't think Denver right now can handle a team that comes flying at them like the Dolphins. The only thing that may save Denver in this game is it's going to be freezing. So again, you want to check that. You figure Miami on the road, okay, freezing cold. That does play in the hands of the, of the home team. That might be the only reason I stay off this game, but that should be a pretty low-scoring game, I would think, uh, this week coming up. Obviously, the Cardinals and Bills, um, what can I say? Kyler Murray gets the credit. And DeAndre Hopkins, for as much as a goofball as he has acted like lately, driving his Ferrari amongst a caravan of Trump supporters and giving him the double middle finger, which he swears he didn't do because there's no cell phones in the world right now. Um, That was one of the greatest catches you'll ever see. That actually cashed a Cardinals team total over ticket for me. It should have cashed anyway because there was a ridiculous interception. Kyler Murray had had some great throws in this game. He also had about six or seven atrocious throws. One of them was to a wide-open Larry Fitzgerald where he throws it behind him. 98% of the receivers on the planet don't even get one hand, much less two hands on it. Larry figures out a way to get two hands on it, almost catch the ball, and when he lands, it flies up in the air. You can't tell definitively that it hit the ground. It may have, it may not have. It's a freak interception. That ticket should have already cashed, but a a great play by Kyler Murray. They score a touchdown and go up by two. All the people that took Arizona minus two and a half are like, oh my God, I'm going to win. No, you're not going to win. They're not going to run a play. They're not going to kick an extra point because if it gets blocked and returned, the Bills tie the game. So that was never going to happen anyway. I thought that was I thought that was a strange moment to see people on social media actually thinking they were to kick the extra point there. But the betting public's not always the most logical group on the planet, but that uh, works out fine for some of us. Um, and Monday night, you had the Vikings 19-13 over the Bears. Uh Kirk Cousins finally gets a Monday night win. Good for him. Again, no fans, so does it really count? Yeah, it kind of counts. I guess it does. Just a grind of a game. I, I really like the under in this game. I just didn't trust him not to do something silly. The Bears have a defense, okay? But they were, at one point, I think, 5-2. and two. They were a very overrated 5-2. and two. In fact, I would have been on Minnesota as a teaser leg had the Bears remained favored in this game. Uh, last week they just didn't they looked terrible against Tennessee Minnesota probably looked a little better than they were against Detroit and so they that basically went out the window but um, Kirk Cousins gets a Monday night win 19-13 one of those Bears touchdowns was a kickoff return in fact the special teams on Minnesota looked hideous all night absolutely terrible the Bears decided to finally let their offensive coordinator start calling plays the only problem is the Bears just don't have guys who can move the football I know David Montgomery wasn't playing it doesn't matter I mean they just don't you know Nick Foles can play their offensive line is is pretty bad and just they just don't have guys that get open consistently that offense just has something wrong with it 
So the Bears and Vikings going uh, two different directions, uh, and that was very much uh, on display on Monday night. And that is going to do it. It's all the time we got this week on The Air Attack. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you check out Facebook.com slash The Air Attack and follow me on SoundCloud and on Twitter at BCAK The Man. And remember, The Air Attack with BC The Man can be heard on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and the Anchor app. Subscribe and share today. Close it out tonight with my man from Chicago. This is Beads Dynasty. I am BC The Man. I will see you guys next week on The Air Attack. Shame. They wanna see me fall like all the man, but I'm also man. What with the hate on him? Tryna bring another banner to the state again. Bitch, I want my statue. MJ, I'm as great as him. I want my parade in grandpa. Country flow, I'm that high. Tell me how I survived the odds. Should I be behind bars in the graveyard? Shot up, been interrogated, or locked up. Yeah, I throw my block up. How them boys gon' stop us? When the game on the line, I leave it all on the floor. Every time I drop a joint, I come back hotter than before. Michael Jordan, Derrick Rose, every night, that's the show. There's a reign of a champion, I'm going for the gold. When the game on the line, I leave it all on the floor. Every time I drop a joint, I come back hotter than before. Michael Jordan, Derrick Rose, every night, that's the show. There's a reign of a champion, I'm going Every time I drop a joint, I come back hotter than before. Michael Jordan.